the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let's get it underway on a Thursday, uh, first hour of the Dave Ellswick Show, and we've got a lot to talk about. J.R. Davis is here, as he is on uh, every Thursday at 6 a.m. J.R., how you doing? How are things going with the Gilmore Group? Uh, things are going well, uh, as well as, as possible uh, while being confined to the home. <laughs> yeah, so how, but no, how are things good? How you guys doing your business? You doing a lot of Zoom and a lot of just telephone uh, conference calls and stuff? Yeah, uh, pretty much. You nailed it. I mean, if I could have bought stock in Zoom uh, <laughs> before all this took place, I feel like I've heard more about Zoom and read more about Zoom and used it more than ever before. Uh, but, yeah, so Zoom, conference calls, emails, memos, that sort of thing, just trying to keep uh, all of our clients, uh, you know, kind of in the loop on what's going on here in the state. Yeah, kind of uh, difficult right now to be getting people to zero in on election strategies when you're trying to strategize how to get around the, uh, you know, this, this Chinese virus that we're dealing with. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it's funny when we talk to our candidates because we've got about, I'd say about nine to ten candidates going into the general. Uh, you know, I always kind of mention that, can you imagine if this took place in January? Because uh, we had a lot oh, of primaries as well. Um, so right. at least in, in, in that area, uh, we kind of lucked out a little bit because uh, we got the March 3rd primary out of the way. And, and so now we have a little bit more time to kind of figure things out through, you know, this pandemic and uh, and kind of move forward. So we've got a little bit of time. It's not as bad, but certainly it makes um, <laughs> uh, pressing the flesh is now a, a, a bad word and a bad term, uh, Dave. So you can't get out there and knock doors and meet people. And so that makes it a little more difficult. And then, of course, fundraising. Uh, yeah, think about that. As well. Can't can't get out, knock on doors, can't shake hands, can't kiss babies. That's like the top three right. things you're supposed to be doing. Uh, you and can't I know, do it now. So yeah, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be uh, different to come this this summer. All right, so yeah. the big story today, uh, and uh, this is a story I believe that uh, our senator Tom Cotton. Uh, was instrumental in bringing to the American public is there are now solid facts 
that uh, the Chinese government covered up the fact that the Wuhan uh, virus, uh, because that's the city it started in, uh, you know, got its start. They knew about it. They shut down Wuhan. They went so far as to even uh, go in and and close, put people behind closed doors, told them don't come out. The military was in the streets to keep them from doing that. But before and even a little after they did that kind of stuff, they allowed their international airport to remain open. And about a half a million people, how many had the, the virus, we don't know were allowed to travel all over the world. Uh, three big cities that are mentioned that we're hearing are London, uh, Frankfurt, and uh, the United States. That's the other place. We're not saying what city, but I'm going to think that it was somebody uh, somewhere along the, Perci- the Pacific coast uh, that this got started. So we actually have uh, uh, the virus being proven it came from uh, from China, that it, they're saying that it was not a bioweapon, that what they're saying is that uh, it was China's effort, and I'm quoting now, to demonstrate that its uh, ability to identify and combat viruses were equal to or greater than the capabilities of the United States. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, sure, that don't sound right. Well, let me just remind you, when it comes to communism, this is uh, something that they do. Uh, Lenin did it. Stalin did it. Uh, you know, Castro did it. Mao did it. And that is fudge all kinds of numbers to make it look sure. like communism was on par economically. It was the big thing they always wanted to do economically with the United States. And of course, they were all lies, but uh, nobody could prove that they were lies because you couldn't get the real information. Uh, the the communist governments wouldn't let it out. That's what the that's what the Chinese are doing right now. But we do know, and, and our senator Tom Cotton back in January said, it looks like it was a laboratory in Wuhan that this got started, not in some wet market. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, Senator Cotton. As this continues to unfold, uh, it's going to get more and more credit for being the only, uh, you know, really, just like the only elected official in America uh, who was actually, uh, you know, uh, raising uh, uh, flags about this and, and ringing the alarms and, and basically letting people know that, hey, this is this is an issue. It's going to be an issue. It's going to wreak havoc uh, on our economy. Uh, and, and, you know, so on and so forth. So, I mean, really impressive how he kind of had uh, the the foresight and, and uh, ability to kind of see this coming when most did not, even though, you know, the media talking heads now say that uh, they did. They did report this in January. They didn't. Um, but, no, I think it's really important that, that he was, you know, uh, letting people know about this at the time he was talking about it, because Dave, to your point, we still don't know exactly the reasons behind all of this. Was it an accident? Was it purposefully done? Obviously we're getting the reports about it coming from the lab. Uh, Cause you think about it, Dave, this is, this is China. Uh, we talk about currency manipulation. Uh, we talk about uh, theft of, 
intellectual property uh, that they have done unapologetically. Uh, yep. What's this? This seems right on par with all of that. That you infect your people and then you let them spread it around the world. This was a, in my opinion, when they finally, uh, it, you know, when this dies down, there's the ability to sort of investigate what happened here. I, I believe this was a worldwide terrorist attack from the Chinese government. Well, uh, I tell you, you know, what. You yeah, I know you're saying that. I asked uh, Congressman French Hill yesterday, he kind of deflected the question, but I asked him, is this not like a declaration of war by China? And, and I think that that, I mean, look, to, you know, I'm not, not saying I'm giving China credit here, but uh, this was, it, it makes a lot of sense uh, that, that this is something that they would do. This is infected. I mean, there's so much conversation about tariffs uh, and, and they had the motive obviously, to do something like this. There was the issues with the United States. There were the tariffs. Uh, you know, there was the, the, you know, obviously they knew they basically had the World Health Organization in their pockets. Uh, they could literally push out this deadly uh, and contagious disease across the entire world into every economy by basically infecting their own people and then letting them take off uh, to these major hubs of the world. And that's exactly what happened. So, yep. you know, to me, Dave, there's, there's one thing in that, uh, there's a mistake. This, this, uh, 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 bacteria, this virus gets out from a lab. It's an accident. Okay. Now they've got to start cleaning it up. They shut everything down. Uh, that that's one thing, right? Is that, Oh, whoops. It's, now we've got to shut all this down and let people know, but they didn't. They didn't do that, and they waited. And so, if they knew what they, if they knew then what we know they know now, uh, and possibly knew then uh, that this was so deadly and it was so contagious, and still continued to let people move about and get on flights and go to other countries, uh, that to me is um, a terrorist attack. I mean, it's, it, look, you can call. It, we want some people to say it's over the top. I don't. I think when when the dust settles and we see the facts here, it makes a lot of sense. And regardless if it was done purposefully or not, it was absolute negligence uh, by the Chinese government to allow this to spread like it has. Well, and on top of that, it happens at a time that we know that the Chinese economy was uh, stumbling at the time. They had Absolutely. reached. They, they had reached a point where their own people couldn't affect, uh, couldn't afford their uh, their products made in their own country, and so uh, they were suffering. And what better way uh, to perhaps put yourself on more of an even keel with the rest of the world than uh, by slowing everybody else's economy down as well? I mean, I know it sounds uh, dastardly. It, it, it sounds evil but we're talking about a communist government here i mean come on folks wake up yeah communists have always been this way no we're, we we talk about uh all the different things that china has done yes number one they're a communist country and we talk about currency manipulation in the united states uh we talk about you know the the past incidences where you know we've had a tremendous amount of these viruses come out of china before obviously this one is the uh, uh, the most deadly and most contagious. Um, and then, of course, we you know talk about stealing intellectual property. I mean, they literally send people over to countries to infiltrate businesses to steal their 
property, their intellectual property, and take it back to China uh, and, and, you know, make something cheaper or whatever it might be to undercut that business. I mean, that's what China does. This is not something that this shouldn't surprise anybody. And I'm not no. saying it happened this way, but if it did, and I think there's a lot of things that point to the fact that it did, uh, it shouldn't surprise anybody because this is, this is China. Uh, we saw how they treated, uh, you know, their students, Dave, when we're talking about the, the, the Hong Kong issues and, and, yep. and from Beijing, I mean, this is China. This is, this is China to a T. So anyone who's surprised by this, they shouldn't be. And I think again, when the dust settles and we look into this, uh, I think you're gonna, there's only going to be two answers. One is just absolute gross negligence on China's part for not stopping this. Or we're going to find out this was purposefully done uh, to, number one, mask all of the problems uh, in the headlines that have come out of China in the last six, six months, six to 12 months, uh, and to cause uh, you know, hardships economically in cities and countries all across the world. Well, when we come back, because we've got to get our first break in, we've got to talk about how the Democratic Party has reacted to this information. And it is very worrisome what they're saying and what like Pelosi is saying and their leadership is doing. And we'll hear what CNN has been saying as well in misinformation that they're giving to the American public. That's all coming up. Uh, J.R. Davis is my special guest. He's with me each Thursday in the first hour. He's with the Gilmore Strategy Group. He's joining us today. And uh, we're talking right now about this whole uh, Chinese uh, virus. Was it uh, did it get out by accident? Did it get out by on purpose uh did it get out by accident and then was used in such a way as to attack uh, other economies in the world we got a lot to talk about today here on the dave ellswick show if you want to get in on the conversation 823-0965 823-0965 dave ellswick show 1011 fm the answer all right so jr davis is with me as he normally is uh, during the first hour of the show on Thursday. Coming up next hour, uh, Mr. Haddock will be back with us, you who own small businesses. Uh, going to talk more about the PPP. We're going to talk about that this hour as well because the Democrats are at it again uh, when it comes to trying to do logical things uh, to help businesses. They're throwing flies in the ointment. Uh, wanting their social justice crap thrown in uh, and spending more money that is absolutely not necessary. Uh, we're going to talk about that. And uh, there's just a lot of things to be uh, discussed uh, today. I mean, the president's, and I, this would be my, my number one story today, except that all these other stories came out as well, and that is that the, uh, the president later today will unveil his ideas about uh, unfettering the U.S. economy. We've got to do that now. It's time to, to get things moving again. Uh, I mean, it's not possible to uh, fight this uh, virus. And you correct me, Jr. if you think I'm wrong, but we can't wait till the last patient leaves the hospital that uh, is being treated right. for the Wuhan virus and then say, okay, now let's start the economy. It won't work that way. No, I agree. It can't be just a, you know, you can't flip the switch on the economy and expect things just to go back to normal. You know, I, I do think there were some articles in today's paper 
talking about uh, what you just mentioned, uh, President Trump's guidelines that he's supposed to announce today uh, for easing back uh, into, you know, full uh, economic activity. I think the problem is it's, you know, it's going to take much longer for us to get to a new normal, even if all the governors basically say, yes, let's go. It's time to reopen the economy because you're going to have a lot of these businesses that have to take uh, extraordinary steps to ensure that we don't sort of relapse uh, back into the state we're in right now. Um, and so whether that's, you know, personal protective equipment, not, you know, we're talking a lot of, we're talking about that for our, uh, nurses and doctors uh, and surgeons on the front lines right now, we're going to start transitioning, uh, to talking about PPE for the workplace, you know, and, and making sure it to, at least to some degree, uh, and, and continue to practice social distancing when people are back at work. Um, but to answer your question, yes, I do think there needs to be uh, more talk and sort of more action towards reopening the economy, but we have to be smart in the way we do it. And I think the Democrats are taking this to an extreme right now and using it for political purposes. And there's some Republicans that are doing the same. However, uh, we have to understand that the longer our economy lays dormant, the more difficult it's going to be for us to bounce back um, to, I'm not even talking about to where we were. I think where we were before all this is is going to take a long time to get back to. Um, but just to get back to sort of the functioning economy, we saw retail sales in the month of April drop by almost 9%. And that was basically just the first, you know, few, you know, first couple of weeks of this. We expect that to be far worse in the future. Manufacturing has dropped. Um, I mean, almost every sector of our economy uh, has taken a huge dip. We're seeing unemployment numbers that are uh, larger than we've ever seen in the history of the United States, in the history of Arkansas, um, the, the unemployment numbers that we're seeing. So, uh, I agree. We've got to get it reopened. I think the president and a lot of our uh, congressmen uh, and women are uh, feeling sort of that same pressure to get their, their economies uh, back running. I know the governor's still that way, but public safety is key. We've got to make sure there's no relapse. So, you know, while we probably need to wait uh, probably a little bit longer, I do agree with you. We can't wait until the last uh, coronavirus patient leaves the hospital in order to kickstart this economy again. Yeah, it's not possible. Let's take a break. No. we got the news coming up. We'll come back, talk about this. And uh, the Dem- uh, CNN uh, reported yesterday uh, that uh, the people who are Republicans and pushing about China said that theory has been pushed by supporters of the president, including some congressional Republicans who are eager to deflect, to deflect criticism of the president's handling of the pandemic. We'll talk about that unbelievable these guys should just have you know a hammer and sickle in their cnn we'll be back with more all right 25 minutes until seven o'clock and uh, jr davis is our special guest you got a pet bird i didn't know you had a pet bird 
<laughs> yeah, there's an ext- uh, extremely loud and obnoxious bird outside my house that I've noticed a lot over the last few weeks. Uh, I'm outside right now. I'm about to walk back in, but yes, it's incredibly loud. Oh so. man, he's he's happy to see the day come. I'm just telling you. I don't think it. I don't think uh, that bird actually does anything until it sees me, and then it just wants to make sure that I'm aware that it's here, and I I am very aware. You you must. Uh, raise its hope level when it sees you and it's just so happy to see you that it it starts singing its little heart out for you that's pretty cool what kind of what kind of bird is it a robin uh obnoxious uh i think that's what it is (laughs) i'm gonna tell you what i had a robin in my backyard yesterday and this dude uh or or dudette i don't know if it was female or it was male but it it had ate well during <laughs> during the winter time. It was uh, the fattest robin I think I've ever seen. In fact, I'm not sure if it really had legs or it had wheels under it. It was it was unbelievably <laughs> fat, unbelievably fat. All right, J.R. Davis and I talking about the story of the day right now, and that is uh, this whole story about all the evidence that's growing uh, out there. Pardon the pun that uh, China created the COVID-19 virus in a lab. In fact, the person who carried it out was that doctor who in December tried to uh, blow the whistle on it and got uh, shut down and then ended up dead like a month later, if you remember about him. Uh, CNN, uh, going back to what they have to say about this, uh, they confirmed the story but then added in that, uh, hey, uh, really the reason that uh, this theory is being pushed, uh, it's being pushed by supporters of the president. Uh, It includes some of congressional Republicans. Uh, They should say senatorial Republicans because they really are pointing the finger at Tom Cotton, I believe, uh, who are eager to deflect criticisms of Trump's handling of the pandemic. With that said... When I look at the president, I don't think that he's done bad. I think that he's done pretty damn good, to be honest with you. Now, the the national response, I think, has been pretty good. I'll say there are states out there that have been very, very, very poor in their response and probably has caused the death of people that shouldn't have uh, because, uh, you know, if you're a Democrat, Lord knows you don't want to say it's the Chinese virus, or somebody's going to call you racist, as stupid as those people are. I mean, people who are social warriors, they just lose all their common sense as well. Yeah. I mean, this preposterous that, that, you know, networks like CNN are are still basically, uh, it's not, here's the thing, Dave, to a point where you can say that President Trump is, you know, it's not that the networks don't like President Trump. They're just reporting the fact, et cetera, et cetera. It's becoming more and more clear that CNN just absolutely hates everything about Donald Trump. And yeah, because if he likes something, they hate it. If he hates something, they like yeah. it. And look, there's times that there's news conferences and the president hurts himself. I mean, we've talked about that. He says some things he doesn't need to say. But instead of just reporting it and moving on, uh, they make it a huge deal and then end up basically uh, confirming everything the president said, you know, as far as how the media acts. 
And so it's really frustrating that you know, CNN is basically saying that this is uh, this story about the you know Wuhan virus is being pushed by uh, Republicans and allies of Trump in order to cover all this up. First of all, this is not a United States of America problem. This is a global pandemic. It's one that we have never had to deal with before. And everybody goes back to the 1918, you know, Spanish flu and all of that. This is a very different time. There are more people on this planet. It is an unprecedented pandemic that is impacting every country on planet Earth. And so to put all this blame at President Trump's feet, uh, or his administration for that matter, uh, is is wrong. Um, and I do think the response has been pretty good. Uh, there have been things that we could have done differently, maybe things we could have done more quickly. I get all of that. Uh, but for the most part, um, if, if we can, if we can move through this, uh, and, and obviously any death is too many deaths, but if we can get into those projections, uh, and get our economy back, uh, uh, rolling again, um, you know, I, I, again, I guess I'm saying that the, the jury's still out on how the president has handled this. We're going to have to see what it looks like on the other side, but for CNN and for some of these networks to go out there and say, you know, Yes, but on all of these stories, it's disingenuous. It plays into the whole fake news idea, and it's frustrating, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, uh, the AP National Review uh, reporting uh, today that the uh, AP unveiled a deep dive into the response of the Chinese government to the coronavirus outbreak, and their article is sufficiently damning, but the headline Quote, China didn't warn public of likely pandemic for six key days. They said somewhat soft pedals it. It really was six or seven weeks that we're talking about that they were uh, withholding all of the truth. Uh, one oh, could probably yeah. argue that the third week of January was indeed a pivotal moment in the spread of the virus. But it's one of many pivotal moments, and focusing on that period suggests the regime covered up the danger of the virus and contagiousness uh, for six days, when it is more accurate to say the cover-up lasted up to six weeks. There's a giant red flags, and they say, pardon the pun, about this virus. Uh, they started waving well before mid-January. The Chinese CDC itself stated that, quote, a cluster of pneumonia cases with an unknown cause occurred in Wuhan starting on December 21st, 2019. Doctors in Wuhan believe the virus was spreading from patients to doctors by Christmas, which means there was evidence of human-to-human -human transmission contradicting the official assessment from the Wuhan Municipal Health Commission and that uh, this human-to-human -human transmission was present from early on, if not from the very beginning. The first fatal yeah. case, who had been to the Wuhan seafood market, gave the virus to his wife, who had never even been to the market. I mean, it goes on and on. They're, they've really been able to establish uh, this timeline, and it is really damning of the Chinese government. Well, I mean, listen, I think that there were cases here in America long before 
uh, we knew what this was. I mean, if you think about this, Dave, this this virus that you know is so contagious, something we've never seen before, so deadly. Uh, it's not like this is some you know uh, diesel engine where you got to get it rolling right before it starts full power. When something's contagious, it's contagious, and so when you have that first uh, transmission you know, it, it's going to start spreading like wildfire. And so, you know, I, I, I believe that there were cases in the United States uh, long before, uh, you know, February. Uh, and, and again, I think that there was uh, there, you know, the Chinese government, I think, again, we're going to have to see what, what, what this looks like when the dust settles. But to me, the, the more facts that come out, to me, it points to the fact that they were doing this intentionally, yep. uh, and it was a cover-up, and it was saying, look, if we get this out there, I mean, it's just a global terrorist attack. You basically infect your people, put them on planes, send them all across the, the world. Um, it, it you know masks the issues that are going on in China. It infects uh, the world's economy. So, again, it's not all about China and the, and the issues that are, are facing uh, their communist government. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, again, I just think the more that comes out of this story, uh, I think that's where most of those arrows are going to start pointing to the fact that they did this purposely and with the intent on hurting uh, some of the world's uh, the world's economy. Now, let me just tell my listeners, I'll work hard to try to get the senator on, Senator Cotton on uh, here uh, tomorrow or at the latest on Monday to talk about all of this, uh, not to take a victory lap, but to just talk about other things that he might want to talk about that aren't being talked about enough in, in the media at this time. I want to move my attention now back to uh, something going on specifically here in the United States, and that is the PPP, the Payroll Protection Program, uh, that's going to run out of money in not days or not weeks and not months, but in hours today. Uh, and it's going to leave a lot of businesses unable to access the lifeline that the PPP is. And uh, it was 100 percent avoidable. Uh, Pelosi and Schumer have been throwing up roadblock after roadblock about this. This is a, a program that is uh, saving jobs and it's helping businesses stay in business but the democrats are blocking uh an extra 250 billion dollars a month and are pushing of all things some house democrats now suggesting all americans should get two thousand dollars a month for the entirety of the pandemic Uh, i mean this this whole social warrior politically correct crap is going to be the death of this nation if the Democrats don't wake up and smell the coffee, uh, Jr. Uh, I feel like we've been saying that since I started on uh, your yeah. show. Uh, yeah, we have. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just feel like every time there's some sort of um, crisis or or issue that it's very quickly. Uh, politicized, not just by the Democrats on both sides, but uh, specifically with this, it does feel like that, uh, you know what it kind of feels like, Dave? It feels like it took the Democrats a while to figure out how to run campaigns, you know, uh, during a stay-at-home, you know, pandemic. And now that they've figured it out, 
they want everybody to stay long. home. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. I mean, look, we went almost an entire month without hearing from Joe Biden, without yeah. hearing from the nominee of the Democrats for president. I mean, that that's astonishing. And now we're starting to see where, you know, uh, Joe's out there a little bit more. Uh, he's doing some some news news shows and he's getting out there and he's talking and that sort of thing. But but that's because the Democrats finally, I feel like they kind of figured out how to run a campaign a campaign in the midst of all this. And now they don't they don't want it to go anywhere. They they've got an upper hand and they can do it. Uh, so that's what again I just think it's disingenuous. I think it's the thing that Nancy Pelosi's agenda uh, maybe it's not that hidden um and and all and all that she says but um but no i i i agree with you yeah mcconnell uh of course the majority uh, leader of the senate last week requested unanimous consent on the senate floor to pass a clean and that means nothing else added mm-hmm. the, this and this only you know this uh clean 250 billion dollar funding increase for the small business program, but Democrats objected. Why? Well, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and I was told by a close source uh, that sits in a lot of these meetings uh, with uh, the Democrats and and Republicans that when Schumer speaks, uh, he looks sheepishly at Pelosi to make sure she's agreeing with what he's saying. Uh, Pelosi and and Senate Democratic leader Charles Schumer say a portion of the Paycheck Protection Program should be reserved reserved for businesses and underserved communities that don't have strong pre-existing relationships with banks, uh, especially women and minority-owned businesses. They want to pair the $250 billion for the Small Business Association with $100 billion in new funding for hospitals and $150 billion for state and local governments. Understand something. That money was also in uh, Phase 3, and they're not even close to running out of money. They're giving the money to the, to the hospitals. They're giving money to the states. I think the yeah. uh, state of Arkansas has gotten like $1.5 billion over the last few weeks yeah. from the federal government it's they're just not close to being out we're almost out of it completely for the ppp yeah and and again that goes back to everything is politicized uh by the democrats right now they're look the story about the the banks that was something that started early on because these banks were inundated uh with these with these small business loan requests, right? You I mean remember yep. the stories and you talk about Bank of America and, and they basically take these headlines and try to politicize them. They're saying this is what people are paying attention to. Let's be the party that does something about it when there's not necessarily anything that needs to be done about it. It's just a result of this unprecedented event and no matter where you put this money, that's still going to be the result because it's so widespread. And it's such a large undertaking, but this is this is typical of the Democrats to use something that's you know to grab a headline and try to turn it into some sort of uh, you know politicized uh, issue. Uh, and you have uh, McConnell and Republicans who are literally saying, "Look, let's just let's we got to put more into this. Let's do that. Let's move forward. Let's see what else we need to do." 
And again, the Democrats ended up saying, no, we don't need to do that. We've got to put this money here. And some of the stuff they're saying, Dave, when you talk about putting this money into some of the underserved areas, uh, that's not an easy thing to do. It's nope. easy to say. It's, it's words. But what does that mean? Where are you putting that? Where is it going to? We know by putting these small business loans uh, out there and putting money in there and the, paytech, uh, the uh, 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 paycheck protection, um, you yep. know, and helping these small businesses continue to pay their employees. And, and these are basically grants if you're keeping your employees employed, you're not having to pay that back. I mean, that's we know that for a fact, Dave, that that is going to help businesses stay afloat in a time of, you know, uh, of difficulty. And, and so we know that. Why aren't we doing more of that to make sure that we have an economy to come back to when all this is said and done? Yeah, uh, but by exactly saying that it. we're going to basically throw a few dollars here and there to, to to get a couple of nice articles written about you is really frustrating. It's disingenuous, and it's not going to help us uh, return to normalcy uh, in the event that that time comes in the next month or so. So it, I, it is very frustrating. All right. J.R. Davis is with us. We will take a break, our final break of the hour. We'll come back. We'll just have a few moments to continue speaking together. Don't forget, next hour, if you own a business, uh, the SBA will be on uh, with Mr. Haddock. He'll answer any of your questions you have here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Today's sunny skies, high of 69. Currently in Little Rock, it's 41 degrees. More after these. All right, we're down to about four minutes remaining. And uh, before we get out of today's uh, hour with Jr., I did want to bring up uh, a story to him uh, to talk about. And uh, that, uh, let me let me get, find my story again. I had it right in front of me. i got to get it back up here. I was zipping around the Internet while we were taking that break. Uh they're going to want to reopen the economy. President saying today or yesterday uh, that he was going to release some information today. Uh, people are really worried about this. How do we keep us from regressing and all of that? We're not in the same position, Jr. We were when this started. Uh, there are two brand new tests that have come out that they can do. One pulling uh, blood with a uh, with a uh, uh, a swab out of the nose and the other one just uh, being reported yesterday by johnson johnson which is uh, you spit in a, a test tube and in a matter of moments they can see if you're uh, you have this disease or you don't which will allow the testing to accelerate and and that's what is important now is to be able to accelerate and find out and be able to report where the hot spots are and if you can do that then you can slow the virus significantly so um, i expect that we'll start seeing some things happening next week uh, but by the very beginning of may uh, places that uh, are not showing uh, you know huge uh, problems with uh, the coronavirus uh, this chinese uh, virus is going to uh, start moving forward what's your thoughts on that yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, basically what you just mentioned, we've got to get the more testing that's out there, the more we're able to identify and isolate, the faster I think we're going to be able to get our economy back rolling. Um, but that's really good news that we're starting to see uh, more of these options 
uh, in these quick turnarounds because, again, I think regardless of what where we are right now, to me that's going to be the key is being able to know who has it. Uh, and if we know that, we can isolate those who do have it uh, and, and, and then also allow those who do not uh, to get back into the workforce and get our economy rolling again. But I think that's going to be really, really key in the next few weeks. Yep, that'll be a big uh, press conference with the president today. Be watching for that uh, to my listeners, and then we will probably, I'm sure, talk about it tomorrow. JR, we are out of time. I want to thank you for giving me another hour on a Thursday morning when you could be snoozing, brother. (laughs) Hey, man, it's always enjoyable. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, we'll talk to you later. J.R. Davis from the Gilmore Group joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're going to get a break in now. Uh, We've got news coming up, and then when we come back, Mr. Haddock from the uh, Small Business Association will join us, and he'll take your calls. Uh, We'll talk about the PPP program. you know, you got to keep on getting your your paperwork in because even if they run out of money, uh, you want to have your place in the line so that when the Democrats finally come out of their stupidity stupor, uh, you'll be able to get it. Let's take a break. We'll come back with more in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. Six minutes after seven here on the Dave Ellswick Show, second hour. Uh, last week, we were uh, uh, lucky enough to have Edward Haddock join us. He's the um, head of the SBA here in central Arkansas and uh, joined us, answered questions about the, uh, of course, payroll protection plan in the uh, care package that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're going to talk to him again today. If you're a small business owner, here's your opportunity uh, to get your you know, questions answered. Uh, perhaps uh, questions about, you know, how much money's left in the program. Just got done thro- uh, talking about that uh, in the last hour of the show. Democrats throwing wrenches and all kinds of flies in the ointment, so to speak, into it. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that with Edward. But uh, you can call in and ask your questions. I want this to be an opportunity for you to specifically ask the question uh, that's, you know, impacting your business. And uh, the number is 823-0965. You call uh, Heidi and answer the phone. She'll get you all set up in our our system, the computer, and then let me know that you're on the line waiting, 
and then we will uh, take your call and you can ask your question, uh, Mr. Haddock. And, and Ed, thanks so much for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show today. Uh, bring us up to date. Where are we uh, with the program? Uh, when I went to bed last night, they were saying the program would probably be dry as far as having any money left in it by the end of today. Is that still seems seeming to be the operate the things you you all are operating under right now? Yeah. Good morning, Dave. Thanks so much for having me on this morning. Um, yeah, we did just uh, release a press release that went out this morning, uh, letting folks know that our idle loan applications. Um, have now been closed down due to the uh, sufficiency level in, in appropriations. And uh, right now what uh, SBA and Treasury are urging Congress uh, to approve additional funds for both Paycheck Protection Program and the uh, idle loan so we can get uh, more small businesses the assistance they so direly need. Uh, it's been just an amazing last couple of days. In, in 14 days, we've issued over 14 years' worth of SBA appropriations uh, to small businesses across the country. So obviously the demand is there. Yeah, and it's, and it's bigger than what uh, evidently the, uh, the Senate leader or the uh, House minority leader uh, even thought. I mean, this, this went through once – the banks seem to work the bugs out. I mean, we went from like uh, 100,000 loans to over a million loans in a matter of uh, of days here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the bugs were, were uh, the initial, of course, uh, challenge for some of our banks to get in, especially some of our smaller banks. But, you know, uh, the the um, the. The rate here in Arkansas, you know, I know uh, as of the 13th when SBA did publish some uh, some broad loan numbers, we already had over 14,800 uh, loans approved for over $2.1 billion here in wow. Arkansas alone. Uh, so our banks have just done everything humanly possible um, to, to really help make sure that our small businesses are taken care of. Now, this is something that maybe uh, for some people is an eye-opener, but small business makes up the backbone of uh, who gives Americans jobs. And uh, it is very important that people understand. We were t- you just talked about $2 billion dollars going out to businesses so that we can keep people being paid that that's an incredible number absolutely so in arkansas you know when we look at the total number of businesses there's about uh, 240,000 businesses in arkansas and 96 uh, 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 99.6 percent of those are considered small under sba standards and they employ almost half of arkansas's population so when we talk about impact, that's significant. I mean, and we can see here, obviously, that uh, this is just uh, this underscores the need for hardworking Americans to have access uh, to relief as soon as possible for this program. Yeah, we got a program now that uh, is making it possible for businesses to get needed capital to keep Americans employed and keep them working. And uh, I mean. Part of it is just uh, to be able to work and uh, and keep their jobs. But right now, keeping their jobs may be to sit at home. I mean, it's it's not uh, not the kind of of situation you want. 
Uh, got a call. Let's talk to Jay. He's our first caller today, uh, Edward. Jay is here in Little Rock. Jay, your question for Edward Haddock of the SBA. Hey, good morning, Dave. This is Jay. I'm Joe's friend. Hey, uh, uh, my question is, is that uh, uh, I'm a landlord, so like I got a shopping center and, and apartment buildings and so forth, and it, we're getting the landlords are getting hammered. And uh, so when I went on the SBA website in the very beginning, I just did the $10,000 to try to offset a small amount of what we're losing. And uh, I haven't received anything on there. I have four different corporations that own four different large centers. Is there any kind of help for landlords out there? Because people are not paying their rents. I'll hang up a little bit. Okay, Jay, thanks so much. Absolutely, Jay. Thanks. Thanks so much for calling in. And, and you did the right thing. The uh, Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program really was is is the intent of that program to support those businesses uh, that are impacted, just like yours. Uh, you know, traditionally SBA uh, doesn't finance passive enterprises, and that's what real estate investors are usually uh, categorized under under SBA, but. With the disaster declaration that was made and approved, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program does make it eligible for those uh, those types of businesses impacted, both business and nonprofit, to apply. So you went in and get you got your application in, uh, and that application is in the queue, and SBA is working to um, process those applications as quickly as possible. Uh, they are going to be processed in a first-come, first-served basis uh, from what we're being told. So if you got your application in and uh, you got a successful submission on that, you're in the queue and SBA is working through those now. So uh, that's why here the, the appropriation level uh, is not necessarily due to the uh, commitment level of SBA because SBA is still working through a lot of those applications that have have already been submitted. And if yours is in that queue, you're in a good point. Uh, Just stand fast, and SBA will be reaching out as soon as they do get to those applications uh, in accordance with first come, first serve. All right, Mr. Haddock, if somebody has put in their application and they really haven't heard much back, and I can understand that because there's a lot of people applying, uh, should you make a phone call or uh, or send an email or whatever? I mean, what should a person do that's out there? Because, I, I mean, you like to say that no news is good news, but that not, that may not necessarily be the case. Yeah, uh, so we do have an 800 number, uh, that uh, the 800-659-2955 is SBA's Office of Disaster Assistance. They can call that office directly with their their submission number, their SBA loan tracking number, or they can send an email to SBA Customer Service, uh, or uh, excuse me, SBA Disaster Assistance, uh, at sba.gov, and I can make sure we get you the uh, the correct email for that. But I tell you, right now we are we are working through an overwhelming load of applications, and I think if if folks could hold tight, they should be getting proactive communication once that loan uh, gets to the loan officer. Once that application gets to the loan officer in the queue, um, we are seeing communication go out, and and I have uh, been in contact with small businesses around the state that are already getting their advanced deposits um, as of two days ago. So uh, we definitely are working through the queue, and, and it is working. Uh, how, how be it, it might be a little bit slower. It is working through the queue. All right. Our guest is Edward Haddock. He's with the SBA here in Arkansas. 
Uh, I wanted to have him on again. We had him on last week. A lot of good questions for him last week. Already got a good question for him uh, this week. Phone number is 823-0965. 823-0965. If you're a small business owner, you have a question, here's the time to get your answer on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. Don't forget about PI Roofing. PI Roofing is out there wanting you to know they are doing everything they can in uh, expediting uh, the ability to, you know, take care of your roof. If during the recent storms we had last uh, end of last week, uh, you, you sprung a leak or you had some hail and it damaged your roof or you had some high winds and it tore off shingles, you can get a hold of the folks over at uh, the uh, uh, P.I. Roofing at PIRoofing.com, and they can help you immediately. Everything that they do is going to ha- involve social distancing. You're not going to be face-to-face with anybody. You're going to do it on the phone. You're going to do it on the Internet. And uh, they can get everything done that way and take off of your shoulders the worries about your roofing problems. So, you know, go visit them, PIRoofing.com. Tell them I told you to call. That'll get you going a, a little bit quicker, and the people will take a good uh, look at you and help you out as much as they possibly can, as quickly as they can. That's PIRoofing.com. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Our special guest is uh, Edward Haddock. He is with the SBA here uh, in central Arkansas. Uh, you gave us a, a figure early on uh, during this half hour over $2 billion uh, has uh, been released to businesses here uh, in the state of Arkansas to keep people paid, keep businesses with their lights on, their mortgages paid, and things of that nature. And uh, he's here to answer your questions uh, dealing with your particular business if you're a small business owner. Uh, and uh, you're wondering about, you know, the stories you're hearing about out of Washington and things of that nature. Uh, this is your uh, opportunity to call and and to talk uh, ab- ab- about about that here with somebody in the know. The phone number is 823-0965, 823-0965. You call that number and Heidi's going to answer the phone and talk to you and she will uh, help you out uh, in getting you set up and ready to go so you can talk directly uh, to Mr. Haddock, and, and he can give you uh, some the straight scoop. I mean, that's why we do segments like this is so that you don't, you don't feel like you're sitting out there just wondering and kind of got your, your uh, hands in your pockets uh, wondering what's going on. So that's why we allow, allow folks like Bob and Benton to call in. And, Bob, how are you? Thanks for making the phone call, and say hello to Edward Haddock. Good morning, gentlemen. It's great to talk to you this morning. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, I apologize if you've already dealt with this. I just got in my truck. And so I was going to – my question is, does this apply to churches as well? I'm an assistant pastor at a church, Mm. and does that qualify as a small business? Yeah, we hadn't – we've not had that question, Edward. That's a good question. Yeah, great. So SBA actually did release some additional information that does qualify and allow churches to be eligible under the Paycheck Protection Program. 
So normally uh, this, this program is open up to uh, small businesses that are for-profit and 501c3 not-for-profits as well as uh, nonprofit veteran organizations. Uh, and we also, uh, the CARES Act widely broadened the scope of who is eligible to get these loans, and churches were included in the Paycheck Protection Loan Program. So, yes, they are eligible to apply. All right, that's great. Uh, another quick question, does that apply to um just your base salary or, for example, if you have a housing allowance or a vehicle allowance, can that all be added together? Because obviously those expenses uh, still need to be met. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So under the Paycheck, Pay, uh, Paycheck Protection Act, it does include other forms of uh, compensation that the individual, uh, in your case, the pastor would be receiving. Uh, of course, it's going to cap uh, salaries at a hundred thousand, uh, but other forms of compensation are included. Great. Well, that that answers my question. I certainly thank you for your time, gentlemen. All right, Bob. Thanks you uh, for taking the time out to call us. I hadn't even thought about churches to be, uh, uh, you know, to be fully transparent hadn't thought about that at all edward so it's good to hear that uh there's other other people thinking about those things than just me yeah absolutely the cares act really broadened the definition of what was going to be included under the the paycheck protection program and i think the intent of that program was really to keep individuals employed and coming either back to these nonprofits or small businesses that they work in, as opposed to going out and filing for unemployment or having to be laid off and then being sub, uh, subjected to the unemployment compensation. So this really was a, an effective bipartisan program that supported uh, the average daily uh, user in small businesses and nonprofits. Interesting. Uh, I saw a story yesterday. I know you're not uh – you're with the SBC or SBA, and you're not with Medicaid or, or anything like that. But I saw uh, a, a woman, because she got that $600 bonus uh, dealing, I guess, with unemployment or whatever, uh, that it uh, that, that extra money caused her problems with her Medicaid. Are these things, uh, you know, these different government programs that are out there that they're bringing some kind of financial assistance to people, People that are on government assistance already, should they pay attention to that? I mean, are, are there caveats that this could affect their other assistance that they're getting? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, we see this as well uh, with individuals going and filing for unemployment uh, and, and seeing that if you're on any income-based or uh, income-assessed um, support uh, from either federal or state government that's, you know, really using your income as a basis for making that decision, you need to really assess how that's going to be uh, affected uh, once you get either uh, the new money uh, or the increased unemployment benefit or whatever you're available for. So that's a big consideration, I think, in, in most Americans that are out there. They really need to kind of assess how these things are going to impact their overall uh, personal well-being and their financial picture when they do uh, qualify for these. All right. The phone number is 823-0965. 823-0965. Folks have called in today. They've gotten their questions answered. If you're a small business owner, uh, you can call in and uh, ask Edward your questions. He'll do his best to give you information. So, Edward, let me ask you, I mean, I'm sure that 
the amount of information you're getting about what's going on up in Congress is, is probably just about as, as, as good as anybody's. Uh, what, is it, what seems to be the, the overriding feeling right now? I mean, last I heard, we were close to like $25 billion left in this program, which sounds like a lot of money to an average person, but when you're talking about a government program like the, the PPP or the IDLE program, that money can be gone uh, almost in a heartbeat. Uh, what are what are you hearing? Are you hearing that they're making any positive moves for this ad- additional two hundred fifty billion dollars to be added? Well, I, I know SBA is is working its part. It knows, uh, and there's a uh, a clear need for for this capital uh, at all levels uh, of small business. So we can see that's happening. Uh, we have to remember this uh, program was was extended and expanded eligibility, which also included those independent contractors and self-employed individuals, those types of gig workers uh, that uh, would not normally be eligible for SBA lending. Um, so this expansion really uh, gave them access. However, that access wasn't opened up until uh, April 10th. So I think we've got a lot of the, the larger, more organized businesses through the, the pipeline, but there's still a wealth of businesses out there, especially independent contractors and self-employed individuals who may not have heard uh, that they are eligible, or even like we're talking today, churches and other programs like that, who may not have known of their eligibility and, and really haven't had a, a shot at, at getting um, their paychecks protected under this act as it was created for the COVID relief. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Edward Haddock is going to be with us. Uh, are you going to, can you go with us until the top of the hour? Have you got Sure, an hour Dave. I'll us? be able to stick around with you guys and answer any questions you have. Okay. Well, we got to take a break because we got to get the news, uh, get Rush in. Rush is coming up. He's got his uh, morning update for us. So uh, go pour yourself another cup of coffee and make yourself comfortable. We'll be back to you in just a moment. The phone number to call to talk to Edward Haddock, he's the, the head of the SBA here in the central uh, Arkansas, is 823-0965. And if you want uh, information, uh, you like to go to the old saying, goes go to the horse's mouth. So uh, go and talk uh, with him. Uh, you can cut through a whole lot of red tape and, and, and don't have to do, you know, well, my buddy told me and he heard from his buddy. You don't want to do that. Get it uh, from somebody who knows. And today, Edward Haddock is our guest here until eight o'clock right now we're going to get a break in it's time for rush here at 101.1 fm the answer and then we'll have more all right we continue the dave ellswick show here at 101.1 fm uh, the answer our guest uh edward haddock he's with the sba small business association uh here to answer questions you might have about for your small business, uh, you know, what should you be doing if you haven't put in your paperwork? I'll say that's the first thing that you need to do, because unless you got your paperwork in, uh, you haven't got off the dime, so to speak, uh, yet. You got a question? 823 
800-795-0965, and uh, we'll get you in line to talk with Mr. Haddock and get you on the air with him to uh, discuss whatever it is that is uh, concerning to you. We've had a couple of calls this morning, one from a, a gentleman uh, representing a church, and i got to tell you, I hadn't even considered uh, that uh, that was uh, I didn't know if they were covered or not. Now we know that they are. So uh, if you're uh, you know with a church, this is something you should be looking at uh, as well. They, you know they want to protect people's incomes right now instead of putting you on unemployment. Better if they can keep you uh, employed, so to speak, uh, through uh, the business that uh, you're with. So uh, Ed. How has the program been working here in the state of Arkansas? I mean, you said that over $2 billion now has been dispersed. I mean, um, are we able to follow that? Or do we know how many businesses have had to completely shutter their doors or anything like that? Or, or, or do you get that type of uh, uh, timely information on a timely basis? Yeah, Dave, that, that's a great question. And uh, as of right now, no, we, uh, Bureau, uh, the, the, um, U.S. Department of, uh, Bureau and Labor Statistics track, uh, those, what we call the birth and death rate of businesses. Uh, so we'll be looking for some, uh, early data, uh, here within the next couple months. But right now, I, I want to clarify, you know, we've got approvals for our paycheck protection. Not all of these have been funded yet. And I think that's where we're going to see this appropriation number adjust because, uh, as of the 13th, uh, Arkansas had $2.166 billion in approvals. Okay. However, uh, sometimes those approvals that go through, let's say, under the Paycheck Protection, aren't funded completely. Uh, so that would be the business gets up there or the applicant goes up there and gets a loan. They're eligible for, let's say, a $100,000 loan. But within, you know, five days, they, they decide or they don't need the full 100000 so they only take 50000 and then they reduce the amount of commitment to the SBA. So we're going to see some changes in kind of that uh, sorting out within the next couple of days. But right now, it seems to be uh, we're at full capacity on the authorization or the appropriation that's funded, the $349 billion. In this, so a lot of our, our lenders, because the Paycheck Protection Program is the one that's done through the, the bank or the, uh, the fintechs that have been offer, authorized under Paycheck Protection and the non-bank lenders. So those are the ones that are doing these um, Paycheck Protection Program applications. I imagine they're going to continue accepting um, those applications, but however, they will not be able to fund them or approve them and get SBA's approval until we do get an increase in authorization. You know, one of the things we've heard from the Democratic Party is that they want uh, X amount of additional dollars for underserved communities. How do they determine what communities are underserved and which uh, communities are being served the correct amount? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think when you, you know, traditionally look at SBA, uh, you know, we, we do have uh, certification programs for those businesses that are, quote, unquote, underserved. And we do have um, data that we collect through each uh, SBA loan program to kind of identify the applicant owner uh, and what their demographic is. The challenge that we traditionally find is 
the you know the the businesses that have good banking relationships, they have stellar credit, uh, they have a good access to the banking environment. They're able to seek loans even without an SBA approval. So uh, generally, most banks are going to support their existing customers. Where we have to look at, we have to go a little bit further down that pipeline, and we have to look at those independent contractors, those micro businesses that are out there that may not have that stellar credit rating, uh, but they may be located in a rural area with a bank uh, or only small community banks at their disposal. And so for us, really getting to those hard to serve, hard to reach borrowers is the intent of a lot of SBA's work to make sure everyone has equal access or access to credit to help start the American dream that they do have to own or start their own small business. So we need to make sure that we get funding out to every uh, component in that every demographic and walk of life and make sure those under underbanked are being served as well. How much? How many uh, businesses are these micro businesses, as you just called them? That I mean, they're they're basically are 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 they measured in any way? Do we even have any idea? You know, how many of these uh, businesses are out there? No, I think that's a that's a great point, uh, Dave. Because you know they're not necessarily uh, operating. Uh, you know, they're operating in plain view. Uh, but but there is there is a lot of informality in these types of businesses. You know, they may be your local barber or salon beautician who's operating out of the back of their house. They may be doing some side work, uh, a side hustle if they, they could be selling products online. Uh, even a crafter or a, a DIYer who's out there on Etsy selling their products. That provides valuable income for that person, that individual, that family to help put food on the table above what they may be getting uh, from a traditional hourly wage job. So I think that's an important component of the American economy that we don't necessarily think about on a daily basis. Yeah. How do they how do they prove what their income is from a, a business? I'm sure that they don't do Quicken books or something like that 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 measures all of this. They're probably, uh, you know, kind of a, hey, I, I made an extra, you know, hundred dollars today i can pay on this or whatever i mean how do they go about showing that they're legitimate right and and i think that's what we try to stress and and bring up and and a a lot of our counseling and training programs that sba offers across the state Um, we have several resource partners that we call them that are grant funded through sba in order to help teach businesses on how to how to really account for those sales and and how to formalize some of their business so they can be eligible for programs like this when the time does uh come where they do need us however if they're not let's say as you said you know doing QuickBooks or or some of that formal accounting that helps really uh, legitimize you as a business, these individuals are going to have a really hard time uh, really giving us uh, the the information needed to approve a loan uh, and go to a bank and and really support that loan request as well, even from, uh, you know, a, a federal relief program such as this. Yeah, this is more than just, uh, you know, flying by the seat of your pants kind of thing. I mean, that uh, having some some real ability to prove that what you're saying is truly being met is uh, is going to be really important on this. So, again, before we go to break here, which is coming up, 
Uh, you tell me, uh, for these people who have businesses like this, I know this might not be the exact time to, to contact you, but when things kind of quiet down a little bit, what are some programs people should be looking to take so that if anything like this, God forbid, happens again, uh, they can get into the system and, uh, and the system can work for them? Sure, absolutely. I think that's, uh, you know, one of the things uh, they can do right now is go out to sba.gov, and we have an entire module, a learning module, right online that they can take uh, anytime. And that can uh, help them understand about formalizing their business, maybe doing some additional marketing, uh, getting out there and uh, looking at loan accounting or accounting for their business. Um, all those are available on demand free of charge at sba.gov, or they can always go out to their, their local resource partner, uh, and that list can be found at sba.gov, local assistance. You'll see the tab on the upper right-hand side, and they can put their zip code into that uh, finder tool and find a local resource partner in their area that they can either take uh, online webinars with them uh, right now or uh, at least call in and start a conversation with a counselor near them. All right. Our guest, Edward uh, Haddock, phone calls from you. And uh, I won't hold him the whole next segment if uh, the phones don't start lighting up. 823-0965 is the number to call uh, to ask your question uh, for your business or your particular situation. 823-0965. By the way, I've had a lot of emails from people asking about, can you get somebody on uh, about unemployment? Let me give you what I get from unemployment. They're inundated. They're just crushed with phone calls. And it, it's just, you got to be, call, you got to call, you got to be patient. Just know it'll take time to get your paperwork in. Edward Haddock is our guest. He'll be back with us when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. want to remind you that according to Forbes, 96% of Americans, that's right, 96% claim their Social Security benefits at the wrong time and that's important because claiming at the wrong time that kind of mistake costs you money an average of $111,000 over the period of your retirement can you afford to lose $111,000 I mean you got to ask yourself that question in social security income learn how you can avoid this with a free social security analysis from David Lucas Financial right here in North Little Rock. If you've saved more than $250,000, you have not filed for Social Security. Be one of the first 10 callers uh, to schedule your free analysis now at 501-222-3315. This free analysis can be done over the phone or video conference. Call 501-222-3315. Again, 501 501- Two 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 thirty three fifteen. Investment advisory services offered through David Lucas Financial, an Arkansas registered investment advisor. All right, new uh, information just coming out. Stories breaking as uh, we do the show today. The number of Americans I just kind of uh, talked about this uh, on a small scale, looking at Arkansas. Uh, But the number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits, and I told you that uh, unemployment offices are being just bombarded with phone calls. 
the number of Americans seeking unemployment benefits jumped by 5.25 million last week as massive job losses caused by the uh, pandemic continued to mount. That brings total claims over the four weeks. I mean, we're talking, now look, we're talking four weeks. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, the short amount of span of time that we're talking about. Uh, nearly 22 million workers. A stunning sign of the colossal economic damage that's been inflicted by the China virus outbreak. Before the pandemic, the largest number of Americans to seek jobless aid in a four-week stretch, stretch was 2.7 million in the fall of 1982. 2.7 million. That was the most in a four-week stretch back in 82. In these four weeks of this year, 22 million. That's just huge. And, uh, and that just goes to show, Edward, how important uh, this uh, program is. And playing politics in Congress is not what should be being done right now. Well, Dave, I can tell you, I'm, I'm not here to talk politics. I'm here to I talk know. implementation of SBA and and uh, these programs, I think, uh, you know, the politicians can can work hopefully together to, to get additional funding for a paycheck protection program and the uh, idle loan and, and help uh, our small businesses. Obviously, we're all working together uh, at, at the ground level to make sure that we can get uh, our banks involved. Uh, and help uh, increase liquidity to our individual businesses, independent contractors, our nonprofits, our religious institutions at the ground level to, to help everyone get through this unprecedented time. And I think uh, as we do that, you know, we're going to be looking to Congress to pass additional funding and support this program in a bipartisan effort. Um, and in this public-private partnership that, that is really uh, unprecedented dealing with the coronavirus, I think, is where we need to be working and looking uh, as we all band together to get through COVID-19. Yeah, I mean, you all are doing a yeoman's task. There is just no doubt about it. But they're saying now that uh, if you look at this from, uh, a, you know, just a, a normal perspective, about 13 percent of the American workforce now is out of work. That is just absolutely uh, incredible. And it's not it's not tenable. We've got to keep doing the things that we're doing uh, to make sure people have got enough money that they can survive or you know, you, you end up with anarchy on the streets. That's exactly what's going uh, to happen. Well, it looks like our phone calls have fallen off, Edward, for this week. Uh, we appreciate you giving us uh, the amount of time that you have over the last two weeks. If uh, I may get you back on for just a short segment uh, in the next couple of days. If Congress comes to their senses and and uh, you know, gets uh, more money established into this program. But we appreciate you uh, for coming on. And so uh, as a last thing, what would you say to people out there with small businesses? What should they be doing at this time? Well, I, I know, you know, 
every small business out there is, is probably, uh, if you haven't addressed the, the immediate need for liquidity, then uh, obviously that's the first thing you need to be able to look at is cash is king in a small business. And uh, I know that's the number one factor that keeps these small businesses alive during challenging economic times. So if you haven't talked to a lender, reach out to your local lender, make a conversation uh, and start a conversation with them about how you can help uh, either defer existing payments or retain some cash in your business and look for those existing lines of credit when we do get additional appropriations under uh, either the CARES Act or any other further relief efforts. Uh, in the meantime, head out to sba.gov. Check out those training resources that you have there available on demand to you free of charge or check out our local assistance tool where you can find a local counselor close to you and start a conversation with a local counselor or consultant to get your business on the right foot, heading in the right direction for when commerce does open that back up again. All right. We thank you so much, uh, Edward. Have a great day, and we appreciate all the information you've shared with our listeners here on 101.1 FM, The Answer in the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great one. You too, Dave. Thank you. All right. Mr. Edward Haddock from the SBA here locally. Uh, Great that he gave us the time that he did for you to ask the questions that you had. Uh, I know that there, I'm sure there's people out in the church community that maybe didn't even know uh, that they were, uh, you know, able uh, to get the help uh, from uh, the PPP program or the IDLE program that's out there. But now it's up to uh, the folks in in Washington, D.C., specifically on the left, to do what they're supposed to do, which is uh, put politics aside and and help Americans uh, move forward. I mean, as Edward and I talked, I, I thought we had a great conversation about, you know, these underserved, as the Democrats like to say, uh, people that are out there. Look, you're underserved, many of you are, uh, because you don't keep records. Uh, you're you're doing things uh, maybe in uh, a small office in your 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 garage or something like that, and you don't follow traditional uh, business practices uh, so that uh, the SBA and uh, the government can can keep in uh, in touch with really how much money you, you, you're making. I mean, many of you are trying to make your money under the table so you don't have to repeat, uh, you know, uh, show it to the government uh, to increase your tax liability. We know that for a, a fact. So with that said, uh, I think we've covered uh, the, the, the topic on, on the SBA right now. Uh, the best that we can, we'll have uh, more on it as more becomes available to us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach in the 8 o'clock hour, he'll be with us. Uh, we still have a lot to talk about. Another 5.25 million people declaring unemployment. Unemployment in the United States right now, 13%. We've got to get this We've got to get this uh, economy going again. As I said, uh, and as the president has said, we cannot let the cure be worse than the disease. Back with you after the news. That's up next here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer.
minutes uh, after eight here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Big story that's developing today. Uh, big story that we just told you about. Uh, another 5.25 million Americans uh, getting unemployment or applying for unemployment uh, uh, in the last week. About 13 percent of the workforce in America uh, at this point uh, out of work. And the president later today uh, will issue guidelines for uh, reigniting the uh, the economy and trying to get things going uh, in a a different direction. Now, we've been moving backwards uh, now for about uh, a little over six weeks, I guess, and. the stay-at-home orders and stuff started about four weeks ago and have spread across the United States. Robert, uh, as we start reigniting the economy, the gov- uh, the government, the president specifically, wants to get these guidelines out for businesses to, to get underway again. But governors across the country are going to have to look at their particular situation in their particular state to see uh, also if they're ready uh, to reopen. I mean, it's only been a couple of, a few weeks ago, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, that, you know, Florida basically closed its borders to people uh, coming to their state. Uh, And, you know, their big business uh, there in Florida is tourism. Uh, Things aren't going to just snap right back to normal uh, in the business community when, uh, you know, they decide that they can reignite the economy. Uh, what do you think the overriding psyche of the Americans are right now? Are are they ready for uh, business to come back kind of as normal, or is everybody f- facing this with, you know, kind of fear and trepidation? What do you think? Well, of course, that's a $25,000 question, and I, I don't think there is one answer unless you're just looking for the plurality answer, meaning I think there are people who are prone towards uh, more safety and less reopening. There are those who are more interested in getting back to normal. There are those that don't see the risk as terribly high. There are those that exaggerate the risk as beyond whatever it is, and it is not insignificant, but there are those who see it as even more. Uh, It it goes, it's across the spectrum. I think we're all, frankly, Uh, ready to have some resumption of normalcy, but how much and how quickly uh, is simply unknown. And I also agree with your observation that the reopening of America, consistent with our historical notions of federalism, will be done in conjunction with both the federal government and the state governments. And that's the way it should be done. Yes, because of the of course, the virus is spreading geographically, meaning it has moved from the coasts 
predominantly the East Coast, but somewhat uh, the West Coast as well, uh, into the center. And so we are later in the curve here in Arkansas than New York is. And so our open update, so to speak, uh, might be different than it is in New York. And I don't know the details of that. But these are the considerations that the governor here and the federal government and the governor in New York, for example, all need to take into account, which will produce somewhat different results, as well as their own calculations as to what kind of risk the population is uh, exposed to. Of course, New York is exposed to the greatest risk. They have tens of thousands of cases, uh, and I don't remember how many deaths, but not an insignificant amount. In fact, maybe 10,000 deaths and 100,000 cases. Uh, it's cl- really- close, close to uh, a third of the deaths for the pandemic here in the United States have occurred in New York. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So... I read it incidentally as an aside. I read an article in the New York Times about how some rich folks were going out to, I think it was Montana, where they have second homes, mm-hmm. and it was an opinion piece. And the, the opinion writer said, well, if they're rich folks who are from here, that's okay. But if they're rich folks coming in from elsewhere, that's not okay. <laughs> and what's really interesting about that, Dave, is you know what? I bet you those same opinion writer types that are eschewing the immigration, Dave, uh, from, say, New York and California to Montana uh, are not eschewing immigration from outside the country in the way uh, conservatives have for some time now. So there seems to be a really radical distinction, and that radical distinction is it's still okay to decry uh, rich people, but if you're not rich, well, then you're the salt of the earth. And of course, neither is the, the truth, meaning rich or poor, they're good and bad people in both groups. So you shouldn't be complaining about them based on their economic status alone. Yeah, I I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I've seen where some foreign countries have told uh, people who have second houses in their countries or third or fourth or fifth houses, who knows? If you're right. if you're Gates, you probably got six or seven. Uh, bottom sure. line, bottom line is, uh, you know, why don't you just stay put, stay where you're at, don't right. come to That's our right. country? Yeah, That's it's right. really I kind of interesting. You know, Dave, I grew up in the suburbs of New York City, distant, meaning two hours outside New York City, an hour and a half, give or take, and that area it, where I grew up is called Long Island. And at the end of Long Island, you've heard of, of course, Southampton, the Hamptons, that's some really rich uh, folks, uh, movie directors, et cetera, own multi, multi-million dollar houses, $50 million houses, quite literally. Right. And so some of the rich folks from Manhattan have been going out there to their second homes and I'd do the same had I that money, and the locals are complaining. They weren't complaining, by the way, when they were getting all of the tax base supplementation from those $50 million houses uh, and the income during the summers. But I get it, by the way. I get it. Of course, New York City has a big outbreak, and then people from New York City are fleeing to areas that have less of an outbreak, and the locals don't want them to come out. I get it. And... Guess what? Long Island now has had a huge uptick in the number of virus um, cases. Of course it has. 
when people who in a, a subgroup of the population of those with the virus moves out, guess what? Some of them will have the virus and they will spread it to wherever they go. So I get it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's tough. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand what we've done, but uh, as as I stated in the first hour when I had J.R. Davis on, we can't we can't wait until the last you know uh, China virus uh, patient leaves the hospital uh, before we reopen this economy. We've got to get this economy open, and, and let's understand we're not in the same spot uh, that we were when this all started. We were kind of caught flat-footed because of what the Chinese government did, and we're going to talk about that. But the bottom line is, uh, with yesterday, with what uh, Johnson & Johnson's new test that has been approved, uh, they can test people in a matter of moments now and find out if they are positive or not for this virus. And so we'll have a, a much better handle on who's sick, where they're sick, and which areas of the country are going to be hot spots, and we can uh, develop strategies for that. Well, of course, that's right. And that goes back to the very first question you asked me, which is uh, how do we decide who decides? When should we do it? And unfortunately, much like what occurred at the very beginning of this, where now they go, back, well, Trump didn't do enough. But wait a second. Didn't you oppose what he did do, like shutting down travel from China? Put mm-hmm. that aside. Uh, 2020 hindsight, of course, will be crystal clear. But one can't go back in time. We haven't invented that machine yet. So we will make educated guesses as to how to do this. I, have, as I've told you before, and you're a listener's, Dave, I uh, tend to be more on the cautious side because I can be. That's a luxury. Let me, let me be frank about that. That's a luxury. So I tend to be more cautious. So I'm not going out uh, to shop for food or whatever more than I have to. I know some people are like, ah, I don't care. I'm going every week, every day, whatever. No, I try to do it all at once and wear uh, as much protection as I can, uh, mask and gloves, right, and then uh, stock up. So everybody has to choose his or her own level of comfort, and the government needs to do that in terms of uh, permitting businesses to open up. Just because a business is open doesn't mean you have to go to it. Those who will want to go to it will go to it, and those who won't, won't, and then we've got to decide, well, if those who want to go to those businesses, are the, what's the risk then to spread it throughout the community? Because it's not only individual risk, it's community risk. And that's why this whole situation is different. And people are saying, oh, well, the lines between left and right are blurring, in a sense, because we need to understand how pandemic pandemics, excuse me, operate. We as conservatives are rugged individualists, but viruses ain't. So we need to take that into account. Yeah, and I agree with what you're saying. I I just think, as I sit and contemplate this and, you know, doing the job that I do where you're you're wondering what should we be really zeroing in on and uh, people can complain all they want to about, Dave, you talk too much about the coronavirus. Well, here's the key. The coronavirus is wrecking havoc on your country right now. It's wrecking havoc perhaps on your neighbors and on your church and on uh, local businesses. And it needs to be talked about because now we're at a position, evidently the infection rate is starting to drop, 
uh, what are we to do uh, to to get businesses back in business, so to speak? And and there's a lot of questions. I mean, Florida closed their borders for a while. Uh, I don't blame see, them. I really know, don't. The question is, will, will we see that again? As some business, uh, some uh, states open up businesses, and other states say, "Well, we don't, uh, we're not happy with that." So, if you're from that state, you know, you might as well not come here and visit. You know, we'll stop you right. at the border. Uh, right. there, there's a lot of interesting things that are, have yet to play out in this country yet. I hope, Dave. <clears throat> excuse me. I hope that as states including our state, decide to reopen, that we do it in in stages. So let's say, uh, I I don't know what the next logical thing that is closed currently to open up. Obviously, restaurants are open for takeout now. Maybe they could reopen for dine-in, but only if they set up tables in a way that they are, you know, they push a bunch of the tables to the side so that they still have greater distances between the tables. I'm making this up as I go, but my point simply is, that I'd like to see it done in stages and see whether that results in an uptick of cases. If so, hold the line. If not, you can try the next stage, that kind of thing. Yeah, that I think that that's going to be kind of what we see. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also going to be interesting, and the last point before we go to break, it's 19 right. after 8 right now, uh, but how will the populace uh, you know, react just because restaurants say, hey, you can come on back and, and have dinner at our place. Will the populace go back? That exactly. that's, that's a legitimate question right now. I think America, in a sense, is kind of shell-shocked by what has happened. Uh, when we come right. back, let's talk about why we got shell-shocked. Let's talk a little bit about China. I know uh, we want to talk about Elizabeth Warren. She's now backed Bernie and, and, and then came out with another video yesterday saying, you know what, I want to help as much as I can. I'd love to be vice president. Uh, we can t- <laughs> We can talk oh, about we can love talk it. about that as as well. It's uh, the Dave Ellswick show. Robert Steinbach is our guest. He is a, a law professor at the Bowen School of Law at UALR, and his opinions and and uh, thoughts are not necessarily those of the Bowen School of Law or UALR, although they probably should be. We'll be back with more with Robert when we return on the Dave Ellswick show, one hundred one point one FM, The Answer. We continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show uh, about uh, 825 right now. Temperature is about 43 degrees in Little Rock. Uh, today, sunny skies, 69 for a high. Tomorrow, afternoon showers uh, scattered. Nothing, you know, that's going to be just uh, pouring down on us like a tenth, uh, one hundredth of, of an inch. 68 degrees for a high. And uh, over the weekend, uh, cool clouds and sun on Saturday, a high of 64, and then cloudy and a thunderstorm uh, around the area, high of 72 for Sunday. So hopefully uh, if you want to cut your lawn or whatever, you can do that uh, probably uh, tomorrow or Saturday morning. Don't wait till Sunday because Sunday is going to be cloudy and it's going to – the chances of rain are going to be uh, significantly higher 
than they have been. Uh, Conway right now 42, Cabot's 41, Hot Springs is at 36, and Pine Bluff is at 37 degrees. So kind of a chilly start to the day, uh, but the temperature is moderating as we go into uh, the weekend. Robert Steinbach is our guest. He is sitting uh, at his house on the phone talking with us today. And then, uh, of course, I'm at my, uh, in my dining room sitting here and uh, talking to you from my dining room. Heidi is in the, uh, uh, the wonderful world of uh, the studio. And if you're watching on Facebook, nobody in the studio. We are all elsewhere, but through uh, the process of modern technology having the show. One of the big stories we talked about starting off uh, the show today and I'm trying to get the senator on tomorrow. I've uh, I got a hold of Carolyn Rabbit, asking her to look into his his schedule and see if he can afford us about 15 minutes uh, early in the show tomorrow or any time during the show tomorrow uh, to talk about. He has been, you know, he's been he was called basically a nut job uh, back mm-hmm. in January because he said uh, that this virus started in a Wuhan lab and got out. And, Not uh, only that, by the way, Dave, he didn't even say that. He said it's possible that yes. that occurred. And that was enough for them to go all over and attack him. Yeah, they went after him as a conspiracist and everything else. Well, the AP exactly. now, the AP has done a, a, a really deep dive on uh, what went on uh, in uh, China. Uh, and, uh, look, this started in China back in uh, early or late November, as far as they can tell. And uh-huh. uh, China knew they had the tiger by the tail. They really did. I mean, they shut down Wuhan, and, I mean, they were put, telling people to go into their buildings, and then they were, they were uh, closing the doors and, and uh, I mean, welding them shut. The military was in the streets. If you were out in the street, uh, you were apprehended, if not shot. And, uh, but here's what they didn't do. And this this um, makes for, uh, and Jr. calls it the largest terrorist attack ever in the world, is that they allowed their international airport to remain open and thousands upon thousands of infected people went out into the world and spread this virus. And that means, look, China has got to pay a price on this. The question is, how do we elicit the price that they've got to pay? Have you thought about this at all, uh, Robert? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that question, uh, so I'm not sure I can give you uh, any insight on it. But I, what I do think is telling, and we've commented on this before, but it's worthwhile repeating, I believe, which is remember, when Trump shut down some travel from China, most travel from China, they called him a racist because that's the go-to move of the left. Whatever Trump does, he's a racist. I was going to say whatever Trump does that they don't like, they call him a racist. But those two things are equivalent, meaning if Trump does something, they don't like it, and then they call him a racist. And so there's nothing to be believed anymore from the left because they have so abused that notion that it has become when it comes out of their mouths, that is, meaningless. And I've been saying this for years now. The left uh, has consistently and constantly called anybody they disagree with a racist, such that the term, in, when it comes out of their mouths, has lost its meaning. 
Yeah, well, you're you're absolutely correct, but the world is going to have to you know decide what we're going to do. All right, back with uh, Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Remember, Robert is a legal professor at uh, the Bowen School of Law, and his opinions are his and his alone uh, here that he expresses on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, With that said, uh, CNN, who also covered this AP story, added this absurd notion into it, Robert, you got, I know I say you're not going to believe this, but when it comes to CNN now, you've got to believe anything. You've got to believe uh, it. They covered the story but included a dig against Republicans saying, quote, the theory has been pushed by supporters of the president, including some congressional Republicans who are eager, eager to deflect criticisms of Trump's handling of the pandemic. First of all, I think that the president has done a fantastic job in the way that he has handled this pandemic. Uh, Have there been a few bumps along the way? Yeah. But why? Because other administrations before the Trump administration cut funding in important areas and the president had to deal with it. And uh, I think that he has done well with that. Plus, as a whole, uh, the, uh, you know, political think in this country was uh, and business think was uh, China every day, all day. And now they're beginning to understand that China may be a, a big trading partner, but they're a, a much bigger enemy uh, to democracy and to the United States than most people probably wanted to, to think. Well, Dave, look, the president, amongst many others, frankly, has been making the point that we are too intertwined with the economy of China, such that if something goes wrong, we are left in a precarious position. And that's what we've seen here, which is everything's fine and they're shipping everything we want over here uh, in terms of access to goods. I'm not talking about how it undermines American um, growth or American employment. Uh, But in terms of access to goods, obviously, if everything is working smoothly, uh, there is no complaint on that issue alone. But the point is that has been raised by many for some time now is if anything goes wrong, including, of course, intentional activity by China to restrict our access, well, then we're we're hamstrung. And we need to be more self-reliant. And this virus episode has demonstrated exactly that. We need to be more self-reliant. We need to be able to respond to the needs of Americans through American action. Because the Chinese are not going to do it for us. Indeed, as is the case with this event, they are the cause of the problem. And I don't mean that in some sort of uh, um, uh, the way the left would characterize, as we discussed before the break. I mean that the virus quite literally came from China, and it and most likely, well, it either came from this lab that we have been discussing, or it came from these so-called wet markets. <clears throat> as you recall, Dave, I posted a couple of weeks ago, I think, at this point, an article from five years ago that said these wet markets in eating bats, yes, bats, 
uh, is going to cause a worldwide <laughs> pandemic. And sure enough, it has. <clears throat> as an aside, as you recall, that's the one where Bill Maher quite literally stole my joke. No I know, you stole your joke. Amazing. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Um, well, he should at so, least pay you what he would normally pay a writer, which is probably several hundred dollars for a joke. Or at least an acknowledgement. I'll take the acknowledgement. <laughs> In any event, um, <clears throat> but the point is that uh, this is this is a real problem, and we need to change how we operate going forward. Well, we got some time uh, to talk about this tomorrow, and we will. Uh, hopefully, Senator Cotton will join us tomorrow, and we can talk directly with him about mm-hmm. how he sniffed out this whole story back in early January uh, because of reading uh, a lot of different news accounts of things that were going on uh, in China. Here's a question for you to to to. to wrestle with uh, um, uh, you got a country you got the leader of that country who has and now we've got a memo that proves that he knew about this all the way back in November and uh, they shut down Wuhan and they didn't shut down the international uh, airport and allowed thousands of infected people to go all over the world and infect other countries how do we understand that other than, as far as I'm concerned, that's almost an act of war? Don't you think so? Oh, I, particularly given that they quite clearly knew more than they were disclosing at the time. A lot this is typical, more. Of course. This is typical totalitarian government behavior, right? That's what we saw with Chernobyl uh, way back when. They never want to disclose that something's going wrong until it's obvious that something has gone wrong. And yes, I do think there is a level of responsibility there that for which they need to be held to account. How we do that is a really good question for which I don't have an answer at the moment. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Uh, You know, I I try to explain uh, with everybody because I understand that's what free trade is all about. Free trade, if you can get a... So let's say a country that is not your friend to trade with you, you have a, a better opportunity of not coming to blows uh, with that particular country. And when you got a um, economy the size of China's, uh, that's, you know, a, a major factor. But when does, you know, you know, threatening a country like that become, uh, you know, necessary, and how far do you go before you know you might be pushing them off the edge and they respond by striking back in a military way? That's right. I, and, and, of course, I don't have the answer to that. But that Yeah, me neither. That, well, of course, of course. But it makes that, me nervous, that's though. The issue. It makes me nervous. We need to be less dependent on other countries, but in particular, other countries whose operating philosophy are directly antithetical to ours, like communist China. And we just simply, uh, I get it that they're cheap labor, and that cheap labor is very expensive in the end, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, Elizabeth just texts me and she says, China keeps telling us who they are, why don't we believe them? 
And, right. and and there's a lot of a lot of uh, truth in that statement. It's just like Iran keeps telling us who they are. Why don't we do, Why don't we believe them as as well? Uh, That's right. I, I think a lot of it goes back to again this ideological philosophy that we believe if we do trade and we make the lives of Chinese better. Uh, they won't want to go to war with us, but the problem is, war can be can be uh, you know uh, done in all kinds of ways. You don't have to have it in tanks and aircraft carriers. You can have it in widgets and ships. You know what I'm saying? Well, indeed, I think, and I don't think we need to go to war with China. I think what we need to do is what's in our best interest, which is retreat from the intertwined economies that we have so that we are more independent and they can't leverage us when they want to. Hmm. Sure is. This not might be on your breakfast uh, conversation at your home, but I'm telling you, it's it's a huge subject that we as Americans are going to have to uh, decide. Is saving a buck on a shirt worth being at the mercy of a communist regimed country something that we got to think about well when we come back with robert want to talk to him about elizabeth warren want to talk to him about joe biden we'll talk a little politics to finish it up on the dave ellswick show for a friday it's a quarter till nine on 101.1 fm the answer all right Let's talk, uh, Robert, about Elizabeth Warren. Haven't talked about her in quite a while because she's become she's become an afterthought. Uh, but uh, she uh, did a couple of videos yesterday and endorsed uh, Joe Biden weeks now after she left the race. And uh, one of the things that she said is that when uh, you disagree with him, he'll listen. Like that's a I. I just amazes me. That's supposed to be a, that's a, a big that's thing. That's such a unique uh, skill, isn't it? Yeah. Her announcement came after Senator Bernie Sanders is on Monday and former President Barack Obama's on Tuesday. So as has uh, uh, been the case with Warren, she's a dollar short again. She shows up late to the party. Uh, her support had been a foregone conclusion, but she left the timing of her announcement up to Mr. Biden's team, according to people familiar with the matter. There was no holdup or demand for concessions, the people said. The process of securing prominent endorsements for Mr. Biden has been underway for some time. And he and Biden, and, and, and she becomes a big part of this conversation, is trying to get people to say anything that will give him some tread out there, give him some uh, some uh, ability to grab hold and people to pay attention to him, because right now everybody's paying attention to what the president's saying and what the president is doing. Uh, she could not be more of an afterthought at this point <laughs> if she tried, right? Yeah, oh, wait, after... Uh, Bernie and the former president endorsed uh, Joe Biden. She says, oh, OK, me too. What? Who, who are you? Who cares? Who cares? And of course, as you pointed out before the break, part of the reason seems quite clearly because she's desperate to get the vice presidency. She's desperate for any position. 
No one had more uh, naked desire to get power than she did during this election. You're right. uh, Right. I had predicted that she would win the primary, obviously incorrectly, not because I liked her, but because I thought the Democrats would buy into her dribble. Luckily, they did not. But she now doesn't know what to do. She's amazed that she wasn't able to con the Democratic voters. And uh, I actually think she would be an awful choice uh, as a vice presidential candidate. But no one's asking me. I'm not a Democrat. Yeah, well, here's here's interesting about this. And this is from a story you sent me from The New York Times. And whenever they're talking liberal politics, you should listen because they've got the ear of everybody uh, that's out there that's uh, interested in this. They're saying that the reason you saw Sanders and then you saw Obama and then you saw uh, uh, Warren is the same reason that you saw when it first occurred uh, when the the Democrats decided uh, that they didn't want to have Sanders as their uh, uh, nominee, that you had uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar and all the rest coalesce around uh, Biden to try to push him over the finish line for uh, the presumptive uh, Democratic nominee. Now, when nobody's paying really attention to uh, the election, so to speak, uh, you've got them doing this to say, see, we're not a fractured Democratic Party, even though they are. And right. here's where we're at. And we're going to really we're going to win back the White House because nobody's paying attention. Absolutely. Absolutely correct, Dave. And there's an article in the New York Times about how Joe Biden so far has been unable to break into the Internet campaign given the change in the environment right now. And that's going to be a problem for him, obviously. Yeah, you're it's it's exactly right. How big of a role? You know, everybody kept saying, when's Obama going to endorse Joe? Uh, they kept asking that question. But uh, for people and Dana Perino said this, she said a lot of people said the president's being awful quiet. She said he's never been quiet. He has been he has been working hard in the background and has been pulling the strings of this campaign. Well, look, when they criticized, I did not agree with the claims against Obama when they said, why isn't he endorsing his vice president? And the reason is, of course, because nobody knew that Joe Biden would win, and you don't endorse someone in the primary who doesn't win the primary, and then you've got to come around and endorse the person who did win the primary and say, well, that's the second-best candidate. So it was perfectly appropriate for Obama not to endorse Joe Biden at the time. And there was a separate article in the New York Times that made clear that Obama intervened to help speed up all of those individuals dropping out of the primary and endorsing Joe Biden. So in terms of that critique of the internal operations of the Democratic primary, I disagree. Uh, I did, however, watch Obama's endorsement video, and there was an article prior to me watching the video. There was an article in the New York Times that said, well, there's a concern about it looking like a hostage video. And I thought to myself, well, I don't, what does that mean? I mean, I know the term, but why would that be the case? Then I watched the video, and then I knew what the term meant. Oh, it was a terrible video. It was completely stilted with these huge long pauses between sentences. 
I don't know if it was done for dramatic effect or he had to catch up with the teleprompter, but it was an absolutely awful video as far as I could tell. Well, you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of the Stockholm Syndrome. Right. You know, Obama had no choice but to finally throw uh, his name behind Biden. He, he is a prisoner of this right now. I mean, he really, well, really is. There's nothing else that he can do. But, and I agree with that, but what else should he do? Meaning the job of the now previous president in the primary is to endorse the person that wins the primary of his party. So he did what he's supposed to do. You're right, he had no choice. But as opposed to what? To endorse an insurgent? Well, that's, that's a losing operation for sure, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. If, if, yeah. it had been, if it had been Sanders, I think we'd still be waiting for an endorsement. I don't know. I don't, maybe, but I don't know. I think that, in other words, that's why I think these endorsements are, are kind of silly, because now Biden has won the, the primary effectively. So who else are you going to endorse? They're not going to endorse Trump. They're not yeah. going to endorse a third party. So it's, that's why I, I think it's a joke when Elizabeth Warren comes out, not, o- not only after uh, Joe has won his primary, but after everybody else has endorsed Joe and she comes out, who cares, Elizabeth? Yeah, Wake we up. don't Nobody's care. paying attention to you. And then you do, and then you do the second uh, video, and you literally are near tears, and you say, in, in effect, I'll do anything to be vice president. I mean, she's, her words were, I think, I will do everything I can uh, to help this campaign. I mean, it, it was very obvious she was talking about the vice presidential ticket. And it, it you know, I'll be honest, I felt, I felt kind of sorry for her at that point. She has now this air of desperation, which is is not an attractive trait. No. And so uh, she would do well, as far as I'm, I believe, to uh, keep her mouth shut. But nobody's asking me with, from within the Democratic Party what they should be doing, and that's just fine. Uh, they can continue to do what they've been doing, and we'll see how effective that turns out to be. Yeah, she should make friends with the powers that be in the Senate and run against Schumer. Maybe that would be what she should do. With that said, we're out of time, brother. It's been a pleasure having you on again. Good stuff. We'll be back together tomorrow starting at 7. I'm still waiting on confirmations from a lot of people, the most important one being Senator Tom Cotton to join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll see if that occurs or not uh, tomorrow. Until then, have a great day. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you there, Robert, uh, in the manana. All right? All right. He's on his way to do what he's got to get done. Don't forget that Robert is a legal professor at Bowen School of Law, and his opinions do not necessarily reflect those of the Bowen School of Law or UALR. It's out of time for us tomorrow. Robert will be back tomorrow. Uh, We've got several people that are supposed to be with us tomorrow, but we haven't had a confirmation yet. The number one that we're looking for is to talk to... uh, 
uh, uh, Senator Cotton. I know Matt Smith is going to join us, owner of all of the movie theaters. I want to talk to him of how this is all going to impact the movie business because it's it's having a huge effect on them right now. We've got a lot of things to talk about tomorrow on Friday, final day of this week's Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM. The answer, have a great day. See you at 6 a.m. tomorrow.